Welcome to Booz Allen Hamilton's Unstoppable Together podcast, a series of stories that unite us and empower each of us to change the world. I'm Jenny Brooks with Booz Allen Hamilton, and I'm passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Please join me in conversation with a diverse group of thought leaders to explore what makes them and all of us unstoppable. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Unstoppable Together podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Brooks, and I'm inspired today to be joined by Emily May, co-founder and executive director of Hollaback, a nonprofit global people-powered movement to end harassment in all its forms. Emily, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. Could we start by having you tell us a little bit about Hollaback? how it came to be, and how you're responding to things that we're observing today, particularly the increasing violence that we're experiencing across our communities. Yeah, thank you for that. I started to hold back with just six friends about 15 years ago and started really in response to my own experiences of harassment, street harassment, gender-based harassment in public space. It felt like everywhere I go, everywhere I went, somebody had something to say about what I looked like or my body or what they wanted to do with me. And it was exhausting. And I felt like I had no options. And so as friends, we started talking about this and we were like, what if we just shared our stories to make people aware of the extent to which this happens? And so for the first, you know, five years, it was just that simple. It was this little blog, but this little blog hit a nerve. And so many other people came forward and shared their stories. And of course, that has evolved into today. Today, we've collected 15,000 stories of harassment. And through just that act of listening to the stories, reading the stories, we start to learn a few things about harassment. You know, one is that it happens to almost everybody in some way, shape, or form, but that the folks who are disproportionately targeted by it are women, they are people of color, they are LGBTQ folks. But the other thing that was really hopeful was that we learned that when people intervened, it did make a difference. So we started doing bystander intervention trainings back in 2011. Um, Of course, it was crickets then. People were like, what? Harassment's not even a problem. Like, why is bystander intervention a solution? You don't even have a problem. Like, and uh, and nobody came, but we had them anyway. (laughs) And, you know, it kind of just evolved uh, from there. And along the way, we started to look around and say, you know, this issue of street harassment, it is one issue among any. We started to look over at online harassment, workplace harassment, and say, you know, can we apply some of this stuff in these other areas? And we did, and it worked. And, you know, last year we partnered with Asian Americans Advancing Justice. We saw the rise in anti-Asian, anti-Asian American harassment in the wake of the coronavirus. That took off. We launched a whole training series in the wake of the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor to address anti-Black harassment, police brutality. Those took off. And so our goal is to be an allying organization, to be a perpetual affront to harassment in all of its forms, and to be able to be of service in these moments. Awesome, awesome. So let's talk a little bit about the detail behind that. In bystander intervention, you cover the 5D model for assessing how and where to help someone being harassed. Can you tell us a little bit more more about that? So bystander intervention broadly is not about heroics. It's not about saving the day. It's just about showing up and helping somebody out in their moment of need. 
right? We do bystander intervention. We put on a mask before we leave our house, right? We do bystander intervention. We help somebody with the door. When it comes to harassment, we freeze. We don't know what to do. And so Holovax 5Ds of bystander intervention are just simply designed to help, you know, us overcome that, to get back to our core, natural, human desire to take care of other humans in need. The five Ds are, and I'll briefly go through them just so you have a sense of what they are. The first one is distract. So creating a distraction to de-escalate the situation. It could be by, you know, dropping something, your phone, your water, some coins, right? It could also be just starting a conversation with the person experiencing the harassment as a way of building that safe space with them. Delegate, finding somebody else to help. My favorite person to delegate to is the person next to me. I think they want to help, but maybe they haven't been trained yet. (laughs) We have document, creating documentation of the harassment. We've seen a lot of this used to expose human rights abuses. The number one trick to document is to give that footage to the person experiencing the harassment. Because that's what bystander intervention is about. It's about giving them the power to decide what they want to do with this, what happens next. Maybe it's sending it to the local news media. Maybe it's showing it to their boss to explain why they were late to work. Whatever it is, it's their choice. The you give it to the person experiencing the harassment. Yes, yes. And that's counterintuitive. We've seen so many. Right. Yeah. We've seen so many human rights abuses exposed um, using, you know, our cell phone cameras, um, harassment, violence, obviously human rights abuses. Um, but... Your bystander intervention is about prioritizing that person being harassed, that prioritizing that person in the moment and having your trauma blown all across the news, blown all across social media without your consent is even further disempowering, right? We want to give them that power back. Okay, I understand. And if I can go back to delegate, what yeah. is that like? What's an example of a go to line for delegation? So what I like to do is kind of like get a buddy, (laughs) like, hey, do you see what's going on over there? Right. Start that conversation. It doesn't look like she's okay. Like, should we go and do something? Would you be willing to say something? I don't feel comfortable. I'm worried it's going to turn on me. Or I'm going to go and start a conversation with her. You know, can you do me a favor and go and get like a store manager? Or I'm going to create a distraction. Can you document this just so that she has footage if she does decide to report it in the future? Those types of, of things, those little actions, I find people are really well, willing to step into it. They just don't know what to do. And even if you decide to directly intervene, certainly the form of bystander intervention that's the most entails the most safety risk, knowing that you've got this other person with you, this even if they're a stranger, right, is going to help to support your safety and the safety of the person being harassed. Okay, got it. And then what are the other two? So the fourth one is delay. So that's just a check-in. So we know from our work with Cornell University, as little as a knowing glance can reduce trauma when it comes to harassment. But what we also know um, is that so often people don't do it, right? The moment passes, they freeze, they don't do anything. And they're like, and what we hear from reading all these stories is that people feel more traumatized by nobody saying anything to them, nobody showing up and taking care of them than oftentimes they do by the original incident, right? They can understand there's one bad actor out there in the world, right? Being foolish, but to understand there's a whole room full of people watching it and nobody showing up into it is a whole nother ball of wax. And then the last one is direct intervention. So we all think about 
direct intervention, the movies model direct intervention all the time. But to really deploy it as a de-escalation tactic, what we want you to do is to set the boundary with the person doing the harassing, right? She's not interested. Give her some space. He told you he's from Michigan. Let it go. Whatever it is, right? And then we want you to turn your attention to the person being harassed. Don't escalate it. Don't get in a back and forth. It's going to be very tempting. You know, they're likely to turn around and say, what are you saying? I was just asking where he was from. It's not a free country. It's Gangella girl. She has a nice dress, blah, 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 right? You don't want to get in that back and forth because then what happens is that the person being harassed now not only has one escalated person with them, they've got two escalated people on their hands and still nobody really taking care of them in that moment. So we want to de-escalate the conflict, de-emphasize the engagement of this person doing the harassing, and really prioritize and care for the person being harassed. I love that this gives us a range of options to draw from in the moment. Are these the same D's that you would recommend parents talk with their teenagers about? Is it this regardless of age? You know, it's it's age appropriate for teenagers who might be experiencing flavors of bullying. It is. It absolutely is. You know, and I think we've really failed kids by talking about bullying as some sort of like benign thing that's not grounded in racism and sexism and homophobia. It's just like like a right message that everyone experiences. So somehow that makes it acceptable. Yeah. And by not talking about the root causes at play there, you know, the five G's work with, I would say really all ages. And so we're partnering now with folks to talk about the five D's in elementary school, middle school environments. Um, We've done this training even with middle school students. And look, we asked, you know, the principals, we said, do you, do you have any worries about, you know, the kids using these things and it going sideways? And they were like, no, absolutely not. Because the kids are already intervening, but they're intervening in ways that aren't safe. And everything that we teach them is about prioritizing their own safety so they can make smarter decisions on how they do it. And so, you know, we actually have in a partnership with L'Oreal Paris capacity to train any high school in this country in bystander intervention completely for free. So if your listeners have some folks in high schools out there, give me a call, reach out to us on our website. We're happy to roll up and train the entire school for free. That's awesome. Thanks, Emily. Your team also offers another training on conflict de-escalation. What does that look like? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So conflict de-escalation is a little bit of a different thing. Lots of folks who feel like they might be direct interveners um, geared towards conflict de-escalation, but it's actually the folks who are more those delay people, right? That check-in after the harassment happens that are really great at conflict de-escalation because it's the same as bystander intervention. You're not trying to get in this back and forth. You're truly trying to de-escalate conflict. And you really only want to implement these strategies in situations where it does appear to be escalating into violence because the approach, we our approach is observe, breathe, connect, right? The approach is to watch for those signs of escalation into violence, to take a moment to ground yourself, to be fully present, stable with it, and then to connect with this person. Now, 
it's really hard. It's like Buddha level work to connect with somebody who is actively hateful, actively racist, actively sexist, actively doesn't think you are fully a human. And But you do it, right? Not in the spirit of giving them like free therapy or making a new friend, right? You do it in the spirit of um, de-escalating the conflict so that the people around you can ultimately be safer. So it's definitely a trickier approach. I think it's not for everyone. Whereas I would say anybody can do bystander intervention. It's definitely a certain personality type that goes in for conflict de-escalation. But favorite fact about conflict de-escalation, did you know that the New York City Police Department is not trained on conflict de-escalation? Wouldn't that solve all the problems that we've got going on? And I don't know about other police departments, but I'm going to guess if it's not happening in super progressive New York, it's probably not happening in Texas or Omaha either. So I, it's such an important skill set for, for folks in those positions, like security guards, police officers, even folks on the front lines and, you know, cashiers in retail stores to have this in their back, in their back pocket. Awesome. So... You've been through quite the journey, starting with six girlfriends talking about the comments that the cat calls on the street to de-escalation strategies with potentially violent scenario. What are some of the insights and lessons learned you've gained along the way with Hollaback? Oh, gosh. It has been, you know, quite a journey. I think that... A lot of what we have learned is that people want to support other people that they don't know how. We've also increasingly learned that people want to set up what we believe is kind of a false binary between people who harass and people who experience harassment. And I think there is certainly a degree of uh, to which some people are harassed more than others, right? People of color, immigrants, women, LGBTQ folks are, of course, experiencing more harassment. And the more complicated, you know, the more of those identities that you're holding, the more likely you are to experience harassment. But we also know that everyone creates harm on some level. We all have been hurt. We all have caused hurt. And so part of that long haul work that we're doing is to complicate this narrative a little bit. So we're not being like, oh, they're they're the harassers. Let's like lock them up and put them away. And these are like the poor like victims. You know, instead we really want to say, look, like we're all standing in our full humanity here and we've all screwed up. So let's have really see our work with people who, who do harass others as hopefully transforming that behavior, right? Not canceling them, but working with them to transform that behavior, to see that behavior, to want to change that behavior. And similarly, let's not put people who experience a lot of harassment in a box either, right? They're not victims. They are people who are surviving what is really hard stuff. And they're coming out stronger and more empathetic for it. We are, this is not the entirety of our identities. This, these are things that we just kind of go through. And so a lot of what we want people to do is to see the ways that they've experienced harm, to see the ways they've caused harm, and to see the ways that they can show up into harm as well. And I think, you know, that work is still very much unfolding at, the, at this time, but I see a lot of hope. I'm seeing a lot of seeds of change. For those listening who want to be part of that journey moving forward 
you've armed them now with some tools in the moment, right? But for the the long haul, for our collective future, how can they get involved? How can they learn more, perhaps take a training? What would you recommend? Yeah, so come to our website, iHollaback.org. In addition to being able to roll up to your favorite high school or college and train the entire thing for free, we also provide public trainings for free. So we have a public bystander intervention to address anti-Asian harassment. We have bystander intervention to address anti-Black harassment, police brutality, to address street harassment. We also do conflict de-escalation, implicit bias. So training is not the single solution. We need a complicated solution, but ultimately the only thing we have full control over is ourselves. So making sure that we are doing the work to show up in alignment with our values and we see harassment, that we're doing the work to shine up, show up in our our full values when we do those moments of disrespect or those accidental microaggressions, right? That we know how to see that, that we know how to apologize for that. And of course, you know, doing the unfortunate work of really having to process the trauma of harassment and build resilience so that it doesn't chip away at, at who we are. All, you know, it all is is work. And at Hollaback, we really have note that it's not just one community who's being targeted. It's community after community after community. And so we really want to show up as a perpetual affront to harassment in all of its forms. So you can also donate on the website to really deepen your engagement and deepen our ability to show up into this work and make sure at the very least we've got individuals there and that as individuals change, so will society. Wow. I'm so inspired by your work. I wish we didn't have a demand for your work. I look forward to the day when we can say we haul it back. (laughs) And now we're talking about something different together. But until that day comes, for every podcast, we allow our guests some final free space um, on the episode. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience before we go today? Yeah, I think it's that we can't feel hopeless in light of all this violence that we're seeing. We can't feel like there's nothing that can be done or there's nothing that we can do because there always is, right? And whether it's getting trained in bystander intervention or getting trained in implicit bias to address the way that you're showing up in your workplaces, those little things make big differences, particularly for people experiencing a lot of this harassment and for folks who are authentically scared right now for their kids, for family members, their parents. Mm We have to realize that we can show up into this, that we can affect change, and that if we change, everything around us changes too. We don't just have to wait for the government to decide that it's time or corporations to decide that it's time. Like we get to decide that. And I think, you know, if I'd leave your folks with, with one thing, it's just to decide, right? To do one little thing today and another little thing tomorrow and another little thing the next day. We're not responsible for doing everything, but we're all responsible for doing something. Thank you, Emily. Thanks for listening. Visit careers.boozallen.com to learn how you can be unstoppable with Booz Allen. Be the future. Work with us. The world can't wait.